Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your host, folks. I'm your co-host, P Funkin' Around, on Twitter. And this is your host, Cookie Negra. Doctor. Sir. How has your week been? Uh, let's say my job got their money's worth out of me this week. It was very busy. Oh, really? You, they actually utilized you in the way it was intended? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would just say I was very busy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Actually, I went to an FDA meeting uh, one day this week, so. Okay, what was that about? It was about making sure that there are no pathogens in the blood supply. Oh, okay, I thought it was going to be about romaine lettuce, because we're not supposed to eat that now, apparently, or we are supposed to eat that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I give up. You can eat romaine lettuce so long as it doesn't come from Central California. I ain't reading labels. I'm just not buying any romaine lettuce. <laughs> well, it's funny because like good luck trying to find it. Oh, really? I've been in three supermarkets in the last two weeks. I have not seen it. You see, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, yeah, capitalism's great, but when you allow monopolies to run rampant and let people just snatch up, you know, supply chains, when something goes wrong, there's really not much you can do. Hello? Yeah, I just think oh. <laughs> out of an abundance of caution, everybody's just throwing it away. Nobody's selling it. All I could find was baby spinach in the grocery store, and I'm not making a salad out of that. Actually, that's pretty good. I mean, I've, I've had a baby spinach salad. It's actually pretty tasty. It's not what I expected it to be. Yeah, I don't like spinach, so oh, okay. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Yeah, because went, we went to a restaurant recently, and we there's a, a salad we usually always order. And then they brought it with, out with iceberg, and I'm like, I don't want this anymore. Because <laughs> I realized, I'm like, why does this taste different? I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, right. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's ruining my life, but that, that's fine. I'll just eat less greens, whatever. I think you'll be all right. Yeah, I'll just skip it. <laughs> yeah, my week's been pretty much humdrum, run-of-the-mill. I just hate that week after Thanksgiving. Because it's always the longest fucking week of the year. I hate it. Okay, then. Yeah, because you have that that short-ass week. I took off Wednesday, so I only had to go to work two days last week. I had a nice, long break, and then I go to work five days straight. Aww. Yes, it sucked. It was terrible. I had a horrible time, and I was miserable. But it's the weekend again. I feel again. bad for you. Mm-hmm. As you should. Did you? How was your Thanksgiving? It was fine. I went home, cooked, cleaned, did laundry, mm. came back more tired than it was like no vacation. Oh, really? So well, wait, you, you did know, all the chores around the house? You know, my parents are old. Somebody has to do them. Mm. But what do they do when you're not there? Everything piles up. Oh, so they wait. <laughs> they wait for you to make a visit back. Yep, something like that. Hmm. Yeah, basically, so you've reverted back to your childhood. Mm -hmm. You wake up and then you just do the chores. <laughs> now they can't do the chores. Now you have to. Yeah, I was pretty much doing them back then, too. But anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember those days. You're but, not old enough to remember when your parents made you go walk over to the TV and change the channel, though. Uh, actually, I am. I did that really? until I was seven. I want to say seven is when we got like our first real VCR. 
and then we could actually use uh, the remote control on the TV because that was the the magic of the, of the day. Is that oh, I can plug this other device into my TV and then use a remote control on that and change the channel. <laughs> wonders. Well, wonders not cease. Yeah, kids today they don't understand any. Oh my God, kids! Kids were so fucking spoiled. I told you about that. Um, I had a a cousin who they recently had a baby, like a little toddler, and then they were touching the TV screen because they just assumed it was a touch screen. That's how wow. immer- exactly. That's how immersed in wow. the current technology they are. They're like, it's broken. What's wrong with this thing? <laughs> oh, that is so scary. Yep. Yep. Because every other screen, every other lit up rectangle that they see, when I touch it, it does things. This one don't do nothing. What's wrong with it? <laughs> They're not wrong. They're smart. <laughs> oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah they, well, society's changing, but we're here to help you guys prepare for that by discussing science in a reasonable, rational fashion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. And that's why we're talking about this first topic. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I quit this show in the middle, <laughs> you guys will understand. So I just want to explain like what surfaced what why this came about basically i was just you know thumbing through twitter as i as i want to do when i don't have anything else to do i was thumbing through twitter and i saw this this random text from uh reggie bush out of context and he was just like i respect your opinion but i also have mine and i was just like huh what's this about and i opened it and i just had a stream of nonsense explode <laughs> explode to my timeline because this fool was talking about how he saw this um this speech by a healthcare worker about how the flu vaccine is dangerous. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so I, I'm going through the timeline. He's talking about, oh, you know, I'm just asking questions and, you know, I'm just curious because I don't think they're telling us the truth and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm like, you know what? Let me just find this speech that he's talking about because supposedly it was made at a CDC conference, which is, you know, a pretty reputable organization. So I was like, well, let me just go look up this speech, see if I can find it and, you know, see what the the fuck she's talking about. Maybe he misunderstood. And um, I actually did some digging and I found the speech. So I'm just going to play a little bit of it. Okay. Let's see if this works. I do this under protest. (laughs) I'll try to talk fast. I don't come here with any Let me know if you can hear it. I come here as the public. I live locally. You are our one and all. I'm going to start with a quote by William Wilberforce. And he stated, you can choose to look away, but you can never say you don't know again. I just retired from a local hospital here. No one believes in the flu shots. My colleagues, I didn't. (laughs) Because the efficacy, and I won't give you data, you created the data. 10% one year, 18% the next, 40% at best. The flu mist you you gave to our children from two to eight years for almost four years, it never worked. 3%, oh well. You know, I worked in a hospital where my colleagues, doctors and nurses, and medical assistants and patient care and lab, we didn't believe in the flu shot. We were probably at 40%. And then came your mandates. And then came your recommendations. So you know what? For four years before I retired, I put a mask on, 12-hour shifts. It wasn't easy to breathe. But that's how much I didn't believe in your efficacy. My colleagues didn't believe in it either, but some of them couldn't wear that mask for 12 hours. 
So in the beginning, they said, I'm just getting a shot. I can't wear the mask. But in the truth, the public's truth, my observation, which is the first step in scientific theory, they didn't believe in your oh shot. Oh, my God. I, I knew I had to stop it there. <laughs> That's the first step of scientific theory, Koki. Did you know that? Observation. Never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, how dare you judge her? She's using observation. But I, I'm just going to run it for one more minute. <laughs> this year, I retired. I'm grateful for that because my soul was sick at what I saw go on. That flu shot was crazy. At first, it was 10%. How can you do data? Which 10 got the shot out of 100? Then it was 30. And then you get up here today and make new implications on our children and combine four. Really? You govern globally and this country. I'm glad I'm retired now because now I can talk to you. Because you know what? While I worked, I couldn't. Because if I did, conflict of interest, I would have lost my job. That's truth. A lot of my colleagues did lose their jobs. I was one of the few hospitals in this city that allowed us to mask. I can name five hospitals that don't. Goodbye, pink slip, no flu shot. How did I survive 20 years and never get the flu in that environment? ER, high volume. Was I not on the front lines? Every flu case, 300 people a day. Every flu case, it was me. I never had the flu. You know why? I knew how to wash my hands. I knew how to take vitamin D. I knew how to take elderberry syrup. Vitamin D Ooh. and elderberry syrup. Oh my god. Ooh, elder I, I love me some elderberry syrup. Don't let's not let's not get it twisted. But um okay. <clears throat> okay, first of all, your tongue should fall out for all the times you teased me about having elderberries. <laughs> that do because she's so hoity toity. <laughs> kiss my ass. <laughs> But okay, look, just, so as you could all hear, um, this is clearly not a speech. What this actually is is this is a this is a CDC um, conference or a public um, a meeting it's a open public to public meeting. Yes, it's not a conference. Right, it's a public meeting. Those are very different. Oh, okay. So uh, Koki will, will dive into that a little bit. But this is a public meeting, and she is not a panelist. She is not an invited guest. She is simply an attendee who walked up to the microphone. Much as if you were to go to like um, like a Comic-Con or any other convention and ask one of these celebrities a question. She's literally just walking up the aisle, spewing her garbage into the mic. <laughs> so there's no expertise here other than she says that she worked at a hospital. I don't know. if I don't remember call if she said which one, but she says she worked at a hospital. She doesn't say in what capacity. And well, we know she's not a physician and she's not a nurse and she doesn't work in the lab. Mm. and She's not an assistant. So. I really hope she's none of those things. You're pretty sure of that? Well, by the way she spoke, I would assume she's probably the person that checks you in when you go somewhere. Oh, she's just like, the, um, what do you call that? The, it's not quite the a receptionist. receptionist. Oh. Like a unit clerk or something like that. Mm, okay, I could see that. Because then she would be around a lot of nurses, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're in the hospital, when you work in a hospital, you're around a lot of nurses. Mm -hmm. No matter what you do, there are nurses everywhere. True, true, true. Um, but, but I uh, suspect that she has a non, you know, not, she's not a healthcare worker. Okay. She's, yes. you know, healthcare personnel run the gamut, you know, they're occupational therapists and physical therapists and, and, uh, respiratory therapists, nurses, doctors, laboratory workers, special attendants, um, nurse practitioners, um, nursing assistants, 
And then there are other people, like the people who who give you the forms to fill out, mm-hmm. the people who um, support staff check you in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly, support staff. So my my, I'm going to make the assumption that she's one of those. Mm-hmm. And. Before we actually talk about the content of what she's saying, which which is again, it's, it's just garbage of the mouth. Before we get to that, let's just talk about the context. So, what is the difference between, say, a public meeting and a conference? Okay, so as an American citizen, you have the right to know what's going on in a lot of a lot of things that happen in the federal government. Mm-hmm. So, if you read the Federal Register, they'll tell you this is going to be it. There's going to be an open meeting um, of FDA or CDC or Department of Energy or whatever, they're going to talk about this topic. Now, for the most part, the only people who show up at these things are people who are well-versed in the, in the topic at hand. So I've been to uh, one of these, well, several of these meetings. I've been to um, one where they talk about, in, in particular, the influenza vaccine, what it's going to be made of next year, Here's the data as to why we've chosen this, and this is what we think will happen. Okay. So those happen every single year. Mm-hmm. And, what's, and the, what's the general and, format of those meetings? Do they just like kind of give a presentation and take questions? Is there something else that's... Well, they're quite, there are actually several presentations, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe, maybe four to six, depending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very data-driven, okay, these are the strains that we've seen circulating in Asia, and we think that this is what's going to happen, and we expect that this is what's going to wind up in the United States, so we're going to make the vaccine based on that. And interested people will show up. Mm -hmm. Usually, you see somebody like um, the president of the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society will show up. Mm The president or the the director of policy at the Infectious Disease Society of America, mm. um, the American Society for Microbiology. Mm. So you you'll, you see a, a gathering. Sometimes those people are involved in the panel discussions and presentations, and sometimes they're just present to make statements. Okay. And that's sort of the scientific part. And then there's always an an ability for the public to make a statement and then usually the public is somebody like i run a vaccine program at you know such and such a company uh advamed dx i know somebody like that or or you know one of the half dozen companies that you see pushing drugs on on tv if you watch commercials and they'll say you know we've found so and so and so so it adds to the discussion um and then you can have just regular people who are interested in this topic show up. And if, you know, they they put on, on the list that they want to make a statement, sometimes you have to show them the statement ahead of time. Sometimes you don't. Clearly, this woman did not show a statement ahead of time. Mm-mm. And, you know, you just and, and if you if you see the video, there are a lot of people in line. Mm-hmm. So people are just coming to the, the, to mic. the uh, microphone to say what they have to say. Um, a conference is a little bit different. It's much more scientific, and there's not, there's not a lot of room for public comment like this sort of thing. Okay. But a public workshop or a public meeting, yes, there's always a chance that somebody from the public will show up. Hmm. Whereas if it's a conference, it's, you know, a lot of times people are, you either have to, 
be invited. apply to be part of it mm-hmm. or you have to be invited. Right. And there's much less of the lay public that show up at those. Okay. So this is clearly one that is open to the public and mm-hmm. she has the mic. And the mic is open to the public. Yes, the mic is clearly just, it's literally just sitting in the, the aisle of the seating um, arrangement. And so I guess let's talk about how this video was used or how I saw it being used online. I saw a lot of people, uh, actually the name of the video on YouTube, I wouldn't recommend clicking on it. I don't want to give her any more views. It's already at a million, which is already sad. But um, it's called Retired Hospital Worker Gives Explosive Flu Shot Speech Before CDC Advisory Committee. Mm. 47,000 likes, 2,700 dislikes. Yeah. So I'm going to say a word about that. Anybody can put anything on YouTube. But here's here's my problem with the situation. There are websites that they call themselves natural wellness or health, whatever. And they're clearly anti-vaccine. Yes. And because it's a nice looking website and people don't know the difference between real science and bullshit, Mm -hmm. this gets spread. And I can't tell you how many times somebody will put one of these things on my Facebook page that I have to explain this is nonsense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You know, my friends and family and people on my Facebook page are only people I really know in real life. So I don't have a bunch of, you know, random people. Mm -hmm. If I don't if I haven't met you in real life, there's a it's pretty unlikely that you'll be a Facebook friend. Right. So these are people I actually know. And thank God they have sense enough to at least ask me, um, is this real? Or my god sister just she doesn't just the way you do it to make me mad. (laughs) Um, But, you know, literally these websites are peddling a whole bunch of stuff like uh, syrup. Elderberry syrup, I guess. Really? Yeah. So this was posted by someone named uh, Aaron Elizabeth at Health Nut News. Never heard of that before. Yeah, that's that's one of the places that, you know, people are forever sending me stuff from them. I'm like, really, you guys? Give well, me a break. There's 37,000 subscribers. And uh-huh. I, again, when I talk about like how this video is being used in this current climate, it seems like volume is being conflated with expertise. So if enough people are saying it, it's the same as an expert saying it. That yeah, seems to be and that's kind of scary. Yeah. And so that's, when, that's why when people were getting, you know, Yes, they were calling him out of his name and being really rude and aggressive about it. But a lot of people were upset at Reggie Bush because it's like, dude, a lot of people know your name. And I can, they already can see the writing on the wall. If you start tweeting about this and, and citing these people, that's a lot more people are going to be going, huh, maybe Reggie Bush is right. <laughs> and maybe all these other people are, you know, talking good sense. Maybe I shouldn't get vaccinated. And I would just like to ask where Reggie Bush got his degree in immunology. When was he an infectious disease doctor? Does he understand what immunization schedules actually are? But because Does he, he know what it what it takes to put a vaccine together? But but black dynamite. Why He's just are asking they listening? questions? He's just asking questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he has no expertise. I swear to God, yet. I will quit this show. I swear. <laughs> He's like 
that was his defense. Every time someone literally, literally every time someone came to him and said, "Hey, this is really stupid and dangerous what you're doing. It's really ill-informed." He's like, "I'm just stating my opinion, and I respect yours." Like, nigga, what? Yeah, there's a difference between informed and uninformed. And I, I will actually, we were talking about something else, my cousin and I, but I will give you the the analogy that I used with him. Mm-hmm. All right. I know a lot of stuff in a small area that does not make me an expert in a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. My mother just got a new water heater a couple weeks ago. She says, the water's too hot. Go downstairs and turn it down. What the fuck do I know about a water heater? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you make sure Missy takes care of that because I'll blow this house up. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it. I'm not going to walk down there and pretend I know what I'm doing. And the house burns down. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think there are far too many people who think, well, I know this, so I must know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reggie Bush was a, a, a football player. Yep. Right? Yep. If he wants to talk to me about strength and conditioning, yep. you know... I'm okay with that. If he wants to talk to me about nutrition, that's great. But unless he shows me some expertise in immunology, what he has to say about vaccination is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I don't need it. There's no reason to believe it. Well, now let's say, um, I hate to use the term, but let's play devil's advocate. Let's say you are Reggie Bush and I go to a health website and I read some articles on health things can I not speak about those things I've read? Not if it's clear that you don't have any understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And also, what website are you reading? If it's Health Nut Daily, mm-hmm. it's garbage. And unfortunately, without somebody to guide you, how do you know the difference? That's why people actually study these things so that they can grow expertise. Mm-hmm. And that's why sometimes I get annoyed when people are just like, Google it. I'm like, there's a lot of trash (laughs) that comes up when you Google something, especially if you've been reading other trash, because Google then decides, well, I guess you're looking for trash. So I'll just show you some more trash. So this is the trash you want. Yeah, this is similar to the other trash you read. So Mm -hmm. so it, it really is scary. And I don't know how we get ourselves out of the idea that everybody can be an expert. Yeah, just Google it. Google University. Remember, you know, yeah. you just look it up. It's like, well, not, not, not. You can't really do that. You need to. I'm not even sure what. If you were okay, here's a question. If you were to put together some short tips or guidelines for someone who knows nothing about a scientific topic and wants to get a little bit informed, how should they go about their googling, or should they do googling? What, what would you recommend, or how would you guide them? Okay, so it depends on the topic at hand. Um, If it's public health, always go to the CDC. No matter what it is, CDC has a page on it. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's fungal infections, they have a page. Mm -hmm. If it's outbreaks, they have a page. So there's always that. Um, If there isn't a direct federal agency for it, I guarantee you there's a scientific society for it. Okay. And if you go to their page, they probably have made some comments on it. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did this week is we're, we're revamping our, our web page and I had to change a lot of the things. 
well, migrate a lot of the things that we have up there. Mm -hmm. But literally, if you go to the web page and you you can search it and you say, well, you know, what have you what what have you had to say about Zika? It all pops up. And so these are a bunch of scientists, a bunch of virologists who know about Zika and they're talking about it. And you maybe you can't understand all of it. But you probably get the gist because we have a really good communications department who helps you write things for lay people. Mm. Okay. And how can you distinguish or how would you recommend people distinguish um, a reputable association or society versus someone who just threw up a web page? Is there a way um, to tell or detect that? There are a couple of ways. First of all, look and see how old it is. Mm-hmm. So my scientific society was formed in 1899. Ah. That's reputable. Mm -hmm. If it came out in uh, 1998, unless it's a brand new field, it's probably not. Mm. Um, You know, like there's a Rand Paul is board certified by a board he invented. Oh, because he couldn't pass the real certification exam. Really? Yeah. I oh, did yeah. not know that. Uh-huh. I thought he was an actual so doctor. You have to you have to be careful what you look at. And you know, the problem is this takes people more than one click. Mm-hmm. And many people are not willing to do more than one click. Yeah, and Google doesn't do that work for you. It just gives you everything just nah. That's the yeah. word you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the other a couple of things I wanted to mention from the video. I mean, the content is just, she mentioned that one thing about 10% efficacy, just throwing random percentages out. And she's like, well, how do you know which of the 10 out of 100 did you give it to? I was like. Oh, that, mm. <laughs> okay, so. She clearly had no actual data. She just said, you guys have data. And that's why I say she can't, she can't actually be a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, she probably, she's probably part of the team. You know, she checks people in. She probably helps people fill out their forms. Um, she may be insur- an insurance specialist or mm. payment specialist. She's, there's no science in her. Mm. Um, but, you know, what she's talking about efficacy, that's, that's actually a fair comment, except for she's just pulling numbers out of her ass. Yeah, she could tell um, she was just listing percentages. She didn't have anything she was referencing. No. She didn't. She didn't have real comments. She just wanted to get up there and talk about how she had a mask on, mm. and you know. Anyway, but she so made such strong declarative statements about. She was giving advice like the flu vaccine is ineffective. She kept saying that it does not work. My colleagues don't believe it works. That's. I mean, if you are someone who doesn't know anything about anything, and you see this video, I guess it's like, oh, that's someone who works in a hospital. They must know. Yeah, the government just doesn't want me to work in a hospital and people who cook in the cafeteria work in a hospital and the person who the valet who picks up your car when you go work in a hospital. Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't confer expertise. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is for for production of the video of the vaccines, it really it may be a guess. It's a really educated guess, but it's a guess. Mm-hmm. And what happens frequently, well, often, not, not frequently, but every now and then. Mm-hmm. So you'll, they'll make a decision about what strains of 
influenza need to go in this year's vaccine. Mm -hmm. And then those strains will not make it to the United States. Right. That's what happened last year, right? uh, Two years ago. Okay, yeah. Or what'll happen is they'll mutate before they get here. Mm. The fact of the matter is I've never heard of a 10% efficacy. I've heard 40 or 50. Mm-hmm. And typically when it's 40 or 50, they're in the elderly. And those are the people that we really, really need to be worried about. Yeah. Because influenza carries old people away like mm. crazy. Yeah. Um, so what they did after that, that 40% is that they changed the formulation so that it was, you know, they sit, pick the same four or five, it's usually three or four um, strains. And then they added basically a booster. It's called mm-hmm. an adjuvant. And so it, it sort of perks up the immune system. Okay. Kind of smacks it in the face. Hey, hey, pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they added. And I think the next year it was 70 or 75%, which was a big jump. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, from, from time to time, it, it's never a total fail. I've never heard it be a total, like 10%. I, I don't, she pulled that number out of her ass. She really did. Yeah, she has a notepad, but she doesn't even reference it. But, <laughs> but okay, so one other thing I wanted to pull out of this before we move on, because there's a bigger, uh, much bigger topic we wanted to get to, because it's big in the news this week. Um, I think, and let me know what you think. I think a lot of the, um, the bullshit that makes the rounds and, you know, things like flat earth and, vaccines not working a lot of that is mistrust of authority and this conspiracy theory mentality which unfortunately is being you know propagated at this point you know at the highest office yeah so there's this uh what do you all know you're just trying to stop me from knowing the real truth yeah and i can just you know read a bunch of blogs and derive what the real truth is so that you guys won't stop lying to me because you're all lying to me of course and she kept saying you know you guys have the data but you're not telling us the real thing and if i if i spoke the truth i would have gotten fired and that really lights a fire in the the population i think people really think that that means that it's true if it's listen to me if you're a first line your first line in an emergency room which is what it sounded like she was mm-hmm. if she spoke this she should have been fired mm. How are you in in constant contact with patients talking about, I don't believe in immunization? Mm. She should be fired. Mm. But, you know, like I have my issues with the CDC. Believe me. Um, They are extremely careful about what they put their names on. You know, I I literally almost had a student not graduate one time because he was working with the CDC and they were dragging their feet about his data. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have issues with the CDC, but what you can't say is they put stuff out there that's not right. Mm. They were, you know, they are so meticulous and so careful and so slow. So the idea that somehow, you know, oh, you're just hiding stuff. It's utter nonsense. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, if you go to the vaccine committee meeting, which I have done, all the data is there. The fact is nobody can understand it. It's all there. Right. And so they dismiss it because it's just numbers. And I don't get statistics and I don't understand derivatives and I don't know what a a standard deviation is. You're just speaking nonsense. Tell it to me plain. Give it to me plain. 
Yeah. yeah. The fact of the matter is there is no plane. Mm-hmm. And that's why we study for many years so we can understand these things. It is not for you to fly by and go, oh, yeah, I got it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everybody would do it. If this were easy, everybody would have a PhD. Yep. Breach. Just, but yeah, but yeah, enough about this lady. Just as a another PSA. We could have ended my... the show with this instead of start. Now I got a headache. <laughs> well, we'll have a slightly more interesting topic coming up. But yeah, because it actually this does feed into the big topic we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. Because there's going to be a lot of misinformation that's going to be flying around in the coming months and weeks. You know, because now it's going to be the topic of the day. It's going to sound really scary. And it's going to be, you know, a lot of people with videos like this talking about how it's the greatest thing ever or the worst thing is the apocalypse. And, you know, the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. The truth is both. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah. So enough of this lady. Just another PSA to be careful about your sources and be thoughtful and think critically about where you're reading things and speak respect expertise. That's basically the bottom line. Okay. So the next topic, uh, next story I saw is just something really scary and interesting. Um, I saw this in the the post. Uh, it didn't get a lot of coverage because a lot of other stuff happened, but it said hyper alarming study shows massive insect loss. So insects around the world are in a crisis, according to a small but growing number of long term studies showing dramatic declines in invertebrate populations. A new report suggests that the problem is more widespread than scientists realize. Huge numbers of bugs have been lost in a pristine national forest in Puerto Rico. The study found in the forest, insect-eating animals have gone missing too. So, yeah. It, it sounds like the one of the underpinnings of the food chain and the ecosystem are disappearing, kind of like bees did uh, for a while. Yeah. They're just slowly yeah. not being found. Just the numbers are dropping and they don't really have an explanation for it. This is really scary, and the thing is, when they go back, like, the whole forest is different Mm -hmm. because of the hurricane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I I don't even know what they're going to do with the rest of these studies. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So they're they're talking – the forest that they're discussing is colloquially known as El Junque. I've probably been there ten times. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, What's El Junque scary. mean? Hmm? What does El Junque mean? It's, I guess it was the... Is it the, just a person's name or something? Or? Well, it, it was the name of it given by the uh, original Taino Indians. Oh, okay. And just to give you guys some like further uh, context. Uh, so in 2014, international team of biologists estimated that in the past 35 years, the abundance of invertebrates such as beetles and bees had decreased by 45%. In places where long-term insect data are available, mainly in Europe, insect numbers are plummeting. A study last year showed a 76% decrease in flying insects. 76%. Now, for many people who are listening right now, they're going, yay, mm-hmm. less mosquitoes, hooray. You know? But the thing is, it's not a joke. The circle of life is real. Mm-hmm. And as you start extracting things from it, you don't know what's going to happen next. Right. I mean, it's sort of like, okay, you brought 
pigeons to the United States where they had basically no natural predators. Look at our cities now. Yeah. You, you basically have a, a bullseye on the top of your head. Mm. So as, as the insects disappear, then the animals that took care of the in- insects disappear. At some point, this is going to rise on the food chain. This, this is not a good thing. Exactly. They said everything is dropping. The most common invertebrates in the rainforest, the moths, the butterflies, the grasshoppers, the spiders, and others are all far less abundant. I promise you the mosquitoes aren't any less abundant. Yeah, that's the thing because they have they plenty of people. Yeah, they have plenty of people to feed on. So I mean, it, the, the ones that are really problematic for people yeah. probably aren't seeing that much decrease because they just have plenty of us to go around. They said, uh, let's, let me just want to put this one data point. Between January 1977 and January 2013, the catch rate in sticky ground traps fell 60-fold. So they would go into the forest and they would put out these sticky traps to kind of estimate the biomass. So that's the dry weight of the captured invertebrates. So any bugs they would catch in specific areas, they had some sort of algorithm or calculation to determine, well, how many, pe- how many of these insects are in this particular area at any given time. And so they've been studying that for the last, how many years is that? Like 40 years. And it's decreased by 60-fold. That is horrible. Yeah. And I, I saw another article, I think, I, I forgot to capture, but they said they suspect it might be uh, climate change. And uh, they say, actually, Lister and Garcia, so two of the researchers, attribute this crash to climate change as well. Yeah, and they don't think that it's insecticides, which was my first thought. But then I thought, right, I just well, thought we were being really effective, maybe too effective at just killing insects. But no. Well, I mean, I was thinking of farming, you know. Right. And so that's what I thought. Okay, maybe it's insecticide. But in this this study, they said that's not it. Mm. And meanwhile, our dear president still doesn't believe that climate change is caused by people. Well, the thing is also that, you know, we're already seeing that the the Puerto Rican birds are disappearing because the bugs are disappearing. Yeah. And I mean, what's the what is the profit motive for protecting birds? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's except for, of course, as as things start disappearing. Mm-hmm. Either you get something invasive that comes in or you just lose something. Right. And that's why, you know, not to get political, but, you know, the reason why regulation is important and the reason why, you know, just cutting regulation willy nilly is a bad thing is because regulation is there as a check against strict profit motive. Because profit motive is great when you want to increase stockholder you know, earnings, but it's not great when you need to protect public goods. Like, like just I the presence like of a pretty bird. I would like to breathe the air and drink the water. Clean air, clean water, and occasionally, yes, things as frivolous as I just like to see pretty butterflies sometimes. God damn it. I mean, can I just have like a pretty bird? Well, but, you know, the, the thing is, though, I, I'm not an entomologist, mm-hmm. but frequently what you find out is these are these insects are important. Like when we, we saw colony, clap, colony collapse disorder with the bees, mm-hmm. you know, no bees, no pollina- pollination. Mm-hmm. No, no fruit. Hun- no honey. No fruit. Yep. Never mind. Never mind the honey. There's no fruits. Yep. Not only no fruit. No vegetables. Like how are? There's absolutely no way. And I don't think, think about all the stuff that you require vegetables for. Like you can't even make bread. 
because you have to grow the wheat. Vegetable oil. You like fried foods, right? It's just, you know, and you can't just say, oh, well, I hate bees anyway. You, okay. You know, it's, it's very short-sighted. You have to think of this holistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, part of this might be that insects just don't have the best reputation now. A lot of people have phobias around bugs, like strong phobias. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the other thing, too. So they don't have, they're not interested in policies that, like, protect them. You know, unless they're just really well informed, so a lot of people are just like, "Oh my God, I get you know palpitations if I see a mosquito anyway." So whatever the fuck, what I don't give a fuck. You know, so maybe yeah, the, go, the public might not be the best uh, place to go to get support, you know, for policies to protect these things. But maybe so. I I remember, I don't know if they do this anymore. Probably not. When I was a kid growing up, there used to be the the extension office, which was basically the forest kind of folks, mm-hmm. and there was a there was a television show that came on at something like six o'clock in the morning. It was only 10 or 15 minutes long. It was called farm home and garden. Oh, okay. And the guy's name was Gary gears, I think. And he would talk (laughs) about these things. Oh, okay. And you know, you know, like don't always kill this. Maybe you put out something natural or whatever. And you know, that kind of thing was actually, I didn't think I was listening, but I guess I was. Mm. And you know, so you start thinking about stuff, Maybe if you get a centipede in your house, throw it outside. You don't have to kill it. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think we're we're programmed. Just kill everything. Right. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people don't have the time or the bandwidth to properly do that. And like I said, there's a lot of there's I think there's a lot of undiagnosed phobias. Like people flip the fuck out when they see certain things, and they're just like, "Kill it! I don't want to talk. I don't want to have any discussion." Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that is that is part of the problem, yes. But I just think it's the same sort of thing like every time we have a snowfall. Oh, there's no global warming. Look, I have a snowball. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Could you, could just try to think your way out of the paper bag. Just, just try. Exactly. And a lot of that also is I don't think they genuinely believe that. I just think they know that that's a winning argument. And I, I, I've had this... Uh, I've had this discussion or sometimes I have this conflict with my father because sometimes he will, I can tell it's like, we'll be arguing about something and he'll bring up certain points and I'm like, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm like, are you actually, do you not understand what I'm saying? Or are you trying to win the argument? Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's, that's happening a lot too. Like a lot of people are throwing out you know, talking points on news programs and on Twitter because they know it's a winning argument, it's a winning strategy, but they don't really believe it, and that they don't care. It's like I win though, so I get yeah, more supporters, I get more clicks. You're right about that, and I think that's sort of like the whole debate club kind of mentality. Yes, right. You don't really want to. You want to score points, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily want to get to a policy that will work. Mm-hmm. You just want to score points, and that's something I really, really dislike about working sort of in official Washington. It's really frustrating because it's like, I don't know how to talk to you now. It's like, how do I talk to you so that we can actually come to some medium or some middle in the, in the, where we can both, you know, accept what's, what's happening as opposed to one of us has to win. That's exhausting. So. Yeah. No, and not that I don't like to win. I'm competitive as the next person. However, you got to get stuff done. Exactly. So that's uh, that's further depression fodder. Um, 
any good news like uh the, the main topic is, is that good news or is that bad news or oh, that's you wanna you wanna dive into it what's what's been dubbed hashtag crisper baby <laughs> um how about you dive into it and i'll jump in okay so let me uh pick up the the main article that i saw uh one of the first articles that came out uh so chinese scientists are creating crisper babies uh, when Chinese researchers first edited the genes of a human embryo in a lab dish in 2015, it sparked global outcry and pleas from scientists not to make a baby using the technology, at least for the present. It was the invention of a powerful gene editing tool, CRISPR, which is cheap and easy to deploy, that made the birth of humans genetically modified in an in vitro fertilization center a theoretical possibility. Now it appears it may already be happening. According to Chinese medical documents posted online this month, a team at the Southern University of Science and Technology in Shenzhen has been recruiting couples in an effort to create the first gene-edited babies. They plan to eliminate a gene called CCR5 in hopes of rendering the offspring resistant to HIV, smallpox, and cholera. Okay, that sounds right like, That sounds great. Stop, stop, stop right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so CCR5 um, is a receptor on white blood cells okay. and that's involved in the immune system okay right yes so uh chemokines which are are sort of the little chemicals that signal proteins and they sort of um direct the white blood cells to do their job which is to work in the immune system okay okay C uh, ccr5 does more stuff than they say here in this cute little article. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the one thing about cytokines, and I hate immunology, but here's one thing I remember. No cytokine does one thing. They all do multiple things. Okay. And they are, I, I almost guarantee they don't know everything that this receptor is responsible for. Mm, but they so basically, now they're trying to eliminate it situation where we don't know what else this might be doing and how damaged these children could be mm -hmm. yeah that's scary yeah the scientist behind the effort he Jianqui, did not reply to a list of questions about whether the undertaking had produced a live birth reached by telephone he declined to comment However, data submitted as part of the trial listing suggests shows the genetic tests have been carried out on fetuses as late as 24 weeks or six months. It's not known if these pregnancies were terminated, carried to term, or are ongoing. Oh, after this story was published, the Associated Press reported that, according to He, one couple in the trial gave birth to twin girls this month, though the agency was unable to conf was wasn't able to confirm his claim independently. He also released a promotional video about his project. Whew. Okay, so there may or may not be a CRISPR baby already out of the womb walking around. Uh, not walking. However, oh, yes, yes. Um, rolling around, I guess. He he presented at a you know a scientific meeting, mm -hmm. and I don't do human genetic studies, but according to most of the people who were there, mm -hmm. they think he really did it. This is not the, the Korean puppy that they claim to have cloned and it really wasn't cloned. Mm -hmm. 
this seems to be he really did it. Okay. Okay, so we'll talk about <sighs> broadly. What are the ramifications on if this is successful and if there is a baby breathing air right now? Two. Two girls, supposedly. Yes, twin girls. So what are the ramifications of that from your perspective, from what you can tell? Okay, so my first, my first thing is I'm afraid that deletion of this receptor may do more than just protect from HIV. Of course. Um, it's true. That's, that, that is the receptor that is utilized by HIV. Um, it also upregulates, so it starts producing a whole lot more in some cancers. Mm. Um, and I can understand why he went after this because it's a receptor that nobody seems to like because of what can, can ride in on it. Okay. But as I said, with these cytokines, they always do more than one thing. So the receptor for it always picks up more than one thing. And I'm just wondering if my first thought is what will happen to these children? Will they live a normal life? Will they have other issues? And now, only seen... time's going to answer that, right? Well, it's true, but you know, it, it seems like they didn't try this in monkeys first. They didn't try it in just straight to the baby. Shoot to the moon. Yeah, Moonshot. and so ethically, ugh, I'm a little. I feel. I feel some kind of way about that. So that's just for these children in particular. And they have seen a deletion um, of this receptor before. These are the people who are resistant to HIV-1 infection. Mm -hmm. And presumably, I guess, they'll never get breast cancer. Or or, um, or I think the other the other thing is... What, HPV? There's HIV, breast, it's upregulated in breast cancer, and I think testicular? Oh, okay. Something mm -hmm. like that. Um, wait, let me make sure I have that right. It may not be testicular. Prostate. Prostate. Oh, okay. Close. So, yeah, I was in the, I was in the area. <laughs> in the ballpark. <laughs> oh, you didn't. <sighs> <laughs> All right, I saw what you did there. That was cute. Um, That's so clever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I get it. I get even why they did it, but, oh, just... So no. there's a in, in one other article they said that um, they have they were interviewing a Harvard uh, scientist George Church and he said that you know those that are praising this research have given no mechanism no rules no regulations that would allow human gene editing for only one beneficent purpose and that is frightening. It is a little frightening to me. I'm sorry, my phone was ringing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... That's the thing. You can't guarantee that this will only be done. Once the methodology is out, you can't guarantee it's only going to be done for good purposes. You can guarantee it will definitely not only be done for good purposes. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I get it. And this would be good for, you know, maybe you can fix the Tay-Sachs gene. Maybe you can fix the the cystic fibrosis gene, but then we're into the whole designer baby thing. Mm -hmm. And we we're sliding right into eugenics, and I don't like this idea. So 
how can you get give us an uh, an idea of what our capabilities are um, technology wise with this methodology and with our knowledge of the genome what kind of things are we able to do like can we basically like change eye color on a whim now can are we able to this do those things first, or not no no this is the first time we've seen this so i can't tell you what we're capable of mm. this is the first time we've seen CRISPR work in a person okay. so the sky's the limit hmm. if he publishes and you know i understand why he wasn't talking to the press because he was going to go to the the um scientific meeting and then he's he probably has his paper in press right now so once the paper is available and people can see the techniques, I think they start trying it with other genes. Hmm. That's the whole point of science. You, you share. And now we go back once again to why voting is important, because guess who has to start drafting laws and regulations around this technology? Well, this is... With recommendation would, from the CDC, yes, and from other uh, scientific um, researchers and federally funded agencies, but... No, this is probably, this is not a CDC call. This mm. is... FDA? Health and Human Services. Um, this is this is sort of above the CDC level, which is... Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is, this is going to be Health and Human Services. It, it's going to involve CDC and FDA and NIH and... Holy crap. Um, I was around for the cloning discussion mm -hmm. in 2000, and the legislation that was coming out of that was utter nonsense. Really? If you found out, yeah, I mean, because think about it. Your average member of Congress, there are a couple of physicians, there may be a couple of scientists here and there, but for the most part, they're lawyers. Yes. And so when they try to write legislation that has to do with science, they screw it up. Mm. And it, it's just because the expertise is not there. I mean, that's why the AAAS fellowship exists. So they bring some guns for hire in to help you with your science. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're usually lawyers or poli-sci people or very good people, but they don't usually have a lot of scientific expertise. So the staff is the, is the you know, the area where they go. And sometimes you don't find a whole lot of scientists there either, unless, you know, it's a particular committee um, so that health, education, labor, and pensions may have some scientists on it. Mm -hmm. They've frequently had a lot of MDs. Okay. Um, but as a rule, there's not a lot of scientific expertise, even in the science committees in Congress. So, of course, they start writing based on their fear or what they think their constituents want to hear and it doesn't always have to do with what the science hmm. so i mean there was literally a bill that was about to be dropped and i got called into the office and you know our legislative director and the senator are in the office and they're sort of like okay what do we do with this bill mm -hmm. they show the bill to me and it is written in such a way that anything you do that changes the germline of a potential child is against the law and you can be fined a million dollars. Oh, okay. Okay, so do you know how sloppy that is? Well, I don't know that what a germline is. If you have sex 
and make a baby, you have committed a crime. Because that permanently changes the germline. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a bad law. I'm going to I'm gonna go on record and say that's bad. Yeah, and so we didn't sign on, and it got dropped, and it, the bill actually got, got introduced, but it went nowhere. You know, but people are going to... People are going to panic right now. And, and I'm, I'm glad this is far enough away from my expertise that I don't have to have anything to do with this. Because this is going to get ugly. Because this is the thing. So what I've been like observing like on Twitter and different articles that I'm reading is that scientists are very, like you said, they're very wary. They're like, yes, we see lots of promise here, but this could also get very frightening. But no one's really been concrete about like what's what's the scary part here because this isn't something you can do like in your your bedroom like you need a large facility and those facilities are managed and regulated right so it should be relatively simple to keep you know people in check when they're doing these things right or no Um, the only way you regulate the vast majority of things that happen in laboratories Mm -hmm. is through federal grant money. If you take this money, you must do this. If you take this money, you can't do that. If you take this money, you must abide by our rules. If you take this money, you understand that you are beholden to us. What happens if you don't have to take that money? Enter Elon Musk. Got it. Exactly. Okay. So if Elon Musk next week gets a bug up his ass and is like, you know what? I would like a whole lot of babies with blue hair and then gives a bunch of tons of money to a lab, then there is no regulation on them. Well, it it, it would have to be a lab that was not already established. So if I have a research lab, say, at Temple University mm-hmm. and I'm a faculty at Temple and I have research and I take this money. I'm still beholden to the rules at Temple. Okay. And they will go along with the federal stuff, no matter, you know, because people get money from, say, um, Temple uh, gets drug money. companies right. or something like that. That's right. not federal money, but you still have to have the same kind of rules. Yeah. What, what Elon Musk can do is decide I want an institute, I'm building a building, I'm building the labs, I'm going to spend, you know, $4 billion on this. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do whatever I tell you to do in this Ooh. lab. Okay. Yeah. So we're still relatively safe as long as you don't have an independent source of money. But what if the Koch brothers want something? Yep. You know? Oh, and okay. it's hard to find a job these days. There are some people who've got sick kids or an ailing parent or. The wife is on their back. Or whatever. Somebody's going to take the money. So <laughs> Somebody's bas- going to take the money. So basically you need really spot on attorneys and scientists to come together in a room to properly govern this. Yeah. Any chance of that happening? In this environment? Yeah. Well, I can, I can imagine that there will be a meeting at NIH with uh, health and Human Services uh, directors in this meeting. Like I said, thank God I probably won't have to go to it. But, oh, it's coming. And the thing about it is apparently um, the Chinese scientist, his university had a bunch of rules that he broke while he did this. 
So even if you have it, if somebody's going to do it, they're going to do it. And I know you, we talked about it on previous shows when we discussed CRISPR, but kind of give, again, like a quick one or two sentence. Like, how simple is this to do? What kind of facilities do you need to do this? Can a small lab do this? Like um, in a corner office? Or do you need CRISPR, like a... almost any, any equipped laboratory can use CRISPR. It's the IVF part that's hard. Okay. Um, and that's that to me, that's probably harder than CRISPR. But you have to be fairly talented to do both of these things together. Um, and they're not they're probably not a whole lot of labs that can do it. But I'm sure this is not the only one. Mm. But, yeah, this this is a little bit scary to me um, because literally we are genetically engineering children and that's no joke. I just wanted to read, like, um, so Wired wrote about this uh, as well, and uh, they referred, they referenced some of the, the promotional videos that the scientists put out. So they have some of his statements in there. So um, late Sunday night, a Chinese researcher stunned the world by claiming to have created the first human baby, babies, a set of twins with CRISPR-edited DNA. Two beautiful little Chinese girls, Lulu and Nana, came crying into the world as healthy and any other baby, as any other babies a few weeks ago, the scientist He Jiankui said in the first of five promotional videos posted on YouTube hours after MIT Technology Review broke the news. So he put out a video and he said, yes, there are two babies that have been born, Lulu and Nana. Uh, Lulu and Nana are reported to have a genetic mutation courtesy of CRISPR that makes it harder for HIV to invade and inf infect their white blood cells. The claim, which has yet to be independently verified or backed up by the published data, has ignited furious criticism, international outrage, and multiple investigations. What's perhaps most strange is not that Hu ignored global recommendations on conducting responsible CRISPR research in humans. He also ignored his own advice to the world, guidelines that were published within hours of his transgression becoming public. Uh. He published... So on Monday, this is so Sunday, he made the announcement Monday, he and his colleagues at Southern University of Science and Technology in Shenzhen published a set of draft ethical principles to frame, guide and restrict clinical applications that, communi that communities around the world can share and localize based on religious beliefs, culture, public health challenges. So talk about hypocrisy. <laughs> so he's like, now that I've done it, none of y'all should do this. Well, but you know, who best to speak on it? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that I'm a little skeptical because when the first cloning took place, this was at the University of Wisconsin or some school in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the head of HHS was Tommy Thompson, who had been governor of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So the way they set it up was everybody had to use that material that was made at the University of Wisconsin. Okay. So University of Wisconsin made some money. Mm. And I'm just wondering if this guy's like, okay, you shouldn't do this. You can only use my stuff and I can charge you for it. Oh, uh, you think it might be a cash grab? Well, I, you know, it not, not even just a cash grab, but what he could do is say, if you use my constructs, my name has to be on your paper. Mm. I get credit for it. Um, and he's clearly very savvy. He went on on 
what is it, YouTube to talk about it. And then he knew he had, like, he knew how to roll this out. Yeah. So the guy, he's smart about many things, not just the science. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's that. They also mentioned in the article that he may not have informed the trial participants that this was what he was trying to do. And oh, they're, they're, holy shit. They're discussing the ethical ramifications of that. Yeah. Okay, so, it's not informed so yes, as reporting by Tech Review and the Associated Press has raised questions about whether He misled trial participants and Chinese regulators in his ambitions to make the first CRISPR baby. Mm. So it might it might have been like I just want to test and see if I can change these embryos, and then in fact he was pushing to have some of them implanted and you know give birth. So oh, yeah. yeah, this gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, yeah, can you imagine if you, you know, you have your wife or you have some kind of illness and you can't have babies or you're trying to have a baby and then this this group comes and says, oh, we can, you know, subsidize your IVF treatment if you join this trial and, you know, who the fuck knows what they're doing? Yeah. And I think wow. that's, you know, that's probably what happens to a lot of people. I mean, you don't do IVF if it's working for you the regular way. Exactly. Because it's a lot of money. It's not only a lot of money, it's just, it's a lot of heartache. Mm. Can't even imagine being injected with hormones. Hormones are bad enough. Right. You know, and then it's it's easy for the man. It's very hard for the woman. Hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I, again, I'm, I kind of don't have the background to really fully take it in. It just sounds, I want to say it sounds really promising, but at the same time, I don't trust people now. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm a little exact. Really, that's exactly where I am. Mm. Like this is this looks like it could be a very powerful technology, um, but literally, what you have to bear in mind is you are engineering children. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be you could check and see if the in IVF if the the embryo carried the cystic fibrosis gene, and then you didn't implant it. Right. And that was one thing. But this is, we're going to fix it. And then this is the other thing. So this is the real, the real ethical quandary. If you do have this technology and you can eliminate something like, say, sickle cell or uh, HPV or whatever causes Alzheimer, do you have an obligation to do that now? I mean, we can. Does it now mean that we must? Well, but the only way you can you can is if we're dealing with IVF. You're still not going to be able to do this when people are getting pregnant the the old fashioned way. Right, but now if I am like say we are two healthy parents, and then this technology is at the point where it can be done, do we now have an obligation to our future children to make them as healthy as possible? Yeah. See, that's Gattaca, and I yeah. I'm not okay with that. I, I really am not okay with that. Especially because... Yeah, because while I'm... Sti- I'm it's like while I'm there, maybe I'll just change the eye color too. Because, I mean, I'm already here, right? Can You're, I make them smarter? Yeah, I mean, you're already doing this. I'd like this. my child to be blonde. How about that? I don't know. Because I would say, like, if... Like, HIV, if you say we can actually eliminate HIV by just making the population more resistant and we can phase it out over time, are we obligated to do that? My answer would be no, um, because that, as I said, I'm still not okay with this 
because I don't know what else it brings. Yeah. For every action, there's always going to, you're going to have to pay for it. Mm. And, you know, what I hope is that these little babies do not pay for it with their lives. Yeah. Or they are now susceptible to some other virus which can mutate in them and then spreads to the population and destroy us all. Exactly. We don't know. <sighs> well, this has been a delightful episode. Just delightful. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little... <laughs> I, I feel a little creepy about this. I mean, you know, I like science and I like us to push things forward, but the ethical nature of some of this stuff, I, I can't just shake that off. Yeah, I, I almost I we just need to know more about what this is and I, I would love to hear from like an actual ethicist, someone who's actually well versed in the science as well, who can give some feedback on well this is what we might have to do or this is where we might where we should draw the line, then I don't even know what where religious doctrine comes to play, because that's gonna it's America. That's always gonna come into play as well. Because now it'll well, be like, well, yeah. I don't want that treatment for cancer because that, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to pretend to be an expert on it, but yeah. It's just kind of sad because you, you have this amazing technology where you could really end a lot of suffering and now we don't. I feel like we we're almost not worthy of using it. We're definitely not worthy of most things. Yeah. But this is a big yay for science and a big ooh for ethics, and you know? And society at large, yeah. So to be continued, is, I think that's where we can leave this. To be continued. Yeah. <sighs> but on a lighter note, <laughs> on a lighter note, it is uh, 2018 is coming to a close. So we're going to have to revise the name of this uh, segment, but it's still Catch These Hands 2018. Catch these paws, 2018. Catch these paws, catch these teeth, catch these fangs. Animals are sick of our shit. We're killing off their insect brethren. We're, we're pushing out the raccoons. And, you know, they're just tired of us. And they're, they're ready to eliminate us whenever they have a chance. Uh, this particular instance is being aided by a person, though. So a Douglas County neighborhood is terrorized by a pack of dogs. Yes, they're a pack of wild dogs running rampant in Douglasville. And they said that they are but afraid. They're not wild. Well, we'll get there. People in Douglasville neighborhood said that they are afraid of several dogs who keep escaping their pen and attacking other pets in surrounding yards. And animal control officials have not been able to stop it. That's the part that wild me. That's wild to me. Animal control has no has no control. Uh, they said, we've been terrorized, said Eunice Dowd, who walks the neighborhood along Timber Valley Drive with her dog, Ellie. It just keeps going on and on. They keep getting out and frightening us. The dogs are owned by Roberto Perez, who keeps them inside a pen behind his home, surrounded by a tall fence. Neighbors said he owns at least six dogs that continue to escape, attacking other dogs for the last year and a half. Year and a half. <laughs> Last week, two of Perez's dogs escaped and attacked Freckles, a Cocker Spaniel. Oh, that's just for... <laughs> Freckles' owner was able to save him in the nick of time. The attack nearly cost Freckles his life and racked up a vet bill of $700. So these dogs really are just walking out of their pen, attacking the neighborhood. They run back home. This guy, Roberto Perez, just shrugs his shoulders, and then it just happens again and again. That is the wildest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he really <laughs> needs to get a better pen to keep him in. This is ridiculous. Douglas County animal control records show that officers have responded to complaints at the home and checked on the dogs eight times since April 2017. He has had to do all these different things to keep the dogs, but they keep getting out. In one instance, a year ago, a woman was walking her dogs on leashes in front of Perez's house when the dogs ran out the yard and into the street, attacked her and the animals. Neighbors heard the screams. They pulled the attack dogs off. They were biting the dogs and the dog's owner. That That is the wildest shit I've ever heard. I don't know how they haven't taken these dogs yet. I don't know what the law is around it, but I don't understand. Well, apparently, like, they keep, they took the dogs away, and then he pays the fines, and then they make him put a new fence up or whatever, and he does it, and the dogs still get out. And he has, does he? I guess he doesn't make any statement, but it's just like, he has no moral quandary about this. These dogs just go out, they, like, chew people to death, and he's just like, mm-hmm, they're my dogs. I just gotta wonder, like, homeowners associations are real obnoxious, mm. and they tell you all kinds of stuff. How do you not know? to not walk in front of this dude's house i this don't seem like the kind of place with a homeowners association i'm just gonna go out on <laughs> i might be maybe i'm being elitist or a little bit racist but this don't look like the type of town that um they have a very strong homeowners association well i don't know that much about douglasville it's it's around atlanta i guess mm, let, me, let me see let me just put it in google and see what the first thing that comes up is Douglasville. Let's see. Am I spelling that right? Douglasville. So apparently, city of Douglas kind of da da da. Population of thirty thousand. Hmm. Yeah, it's a tiny little burb. It's like a few miles outside Atlanta. Yeah. I'm just going to go on a limb and say they don't have a homeowners association and wild dogs probably isn't new to them. This is probably just the newest set of wild dogs. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at their top employers. Walmart, Kroger, Ooh. Oh. the Red Cross, Oh no. Sam's Club, Home Depot. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Okay. So, yeah, these dogs basically just run this town. It's like they need the Magnificent Seven of Dogs to come in and, you know, clean it up. Not the Magnificent Seven. Mm, yes, yeah, so they, they clearly, it's a bunch of rogue dogs that run the town. And they need some, you know, to get some gunslinger dogs to come in and teach them a lesson. But they're not even rogue. We know who they belong to. We know everything. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> I, he is he's clearly not taking care of these dogs. No, but he has a fence up and he, I don't know, he, maybe he's just a really bad fence builder. Maybe this is a story about a guy who's just... Just can't figure out how to build the right kind of fence. And he's just struggling to get it right. And he just can't afford a contractor to do it built properly. So I just think there's more to this. Like, he has all these dogs. It seems like it's several. At least yeah. four. It sounds like it's seven dogs. Yeah. So, okay, it's a lot of dogs. Mm-hmm. Is he fighting these dogs? Oh. I yeah. mean. It is it, Atlanta. Well, but it's just the, the like, my, my great uncle used to have a dog that he kept to be mean to mm-hmm. keep people off his property mm-hmm. and he fed it gunpowder and like they, you can abuse a dog and make it mean Jesus. as a rule they're not but you can you can so abuse them that they get that way so you think and might i'm be just a wondering are these situation? fighting dogs like why are they so aggressive mm, so you think this might be a mike vick situation okay 
Well, I'm just wondering. And I'm not saying because it's Georgia, but I'm saying it because he has so many dogs. And they don't appear to be, like, they're not in the house dogs. They're, they seem to be out in a pen. Like, they, they don't seem to be family pets that, you know, you see him with the dog, loving them, the, loving on the dog. and all. You know it what? Just... I solved it. I know what it is. He is running a dog ring, and he's making enough money off it that he pays off the, the dog catcher and the mayor. And so they don't bother him. I figured. I oh, solved come on. You it. really think that? Yeah, I figured it out. He's making enough money off this dog and he just pays people off. That's how he gets the dogs back and he has no problem paying the fine. And he probably lets them out on purpose just to get them, you know, to taste the blood. I get it now. I figured it out. It's just an asshole. Damn. Well. Yeah, I'm really good at this. Since we have absolutely no data <laughs> to back that up. But I just want, like, those dogs, the picture of the dog, they just, they don't look like they're happy, friendly love you dogs and obviously if they're biting up everybody no like they're all they're... auditioning for the next Cujo oh my god they do if you saw those dogs you wouldn't cross the street well you know I'm a dog I racist. usually have really good relationships with animals oh like if I walk out the, there are a lot of dogs where I live and people's dogs are always very interested in me mm. and they, they come over and they want to talk to me and lick me and jump up on me like Dogs usually like me. That so sounds I, like people too. Don't they walk up to you and ask you for directions? And <laughs> shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, not just people. Mm. Crazy people. Let's Whoa. get it right. Okay. It would be okay if sort of, you know, normal folks came, but there's always something extremely wrong with people who want to talk to me. Yeah. But no, I'm, I, you know, usually I... I'm not afraid of dogs and dogs are always around me and you know I've never had a problem I used to have a dog when I was a kid like I'm okay with dogs those uh, dogs look, don't look well cared for they, they look, look me look at the dogs in that picture I would not approach that dog within 50 feet yeah well I don't that's approach a them that's a like I said ass they come after bull. me no, that's a diesel ass looking pit bull it looks like yeah they are some diesel looking dogs they are but I, mm. I, I suspect that they are not just house pets no, clearly not. Yeah, so. I, I, I am. I, I think my theory is correct. I think he's running a, uh, a dog fighting ring, and he makes a lot of money, and he's paying fines and paying people off. Yeah, I'm surprised after one or two incidents that they haven't put the dogs down. Exactly. I'm very surprised by that. Exactly. <sighs> and on that uplifting note, this has been a great episode. Don't you just feel better and more chipper, ready to approach the day? Hey, sometimes you got to take the medicine, you know. Yeah. Not all rainbows and lollipops. Yeah, we don't. We won't need medicine in the future, though. We'll just crisp it out, you know. Oh, sweet Jesus! Well, yeah. I'm ready for them to crisp out the fat gene. That would be good. <laughs> oh, they'll make so much money. Oh my God, it's going to be so expensive. Uh But yes, anything else you want to share with the people? You want to tell the people where to find you? I'm always in the same place, and a, a hello to all of you who've been asking when we were coming back, so I, I know you're out there. Hi. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me at Koki Talks Trash for nonsense, but if you really want to talk about science, I'm usually at Koki Negra. And uh, I am at Peak Bunkin' Around on Twitter, and you can always tweet us at the, the show, uh, at You Know Molecules, capital U, K-N-O-W, Molecules. All right, that's been an episode and another one in the can. Yay. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>